Well, we have been working through our series, The Kingdom of God, of God's family, that God is drawing from people of all nations and tribes and, and healing the world and healing each of us. And so last week, we talked about Jesus standing on a level place, talking to a crowd of his disciples and, and these crowds of the multitudes of people hearing him speak. We talked about how those crowds weren't sure what direction to go. You know that some were like the zealots who, who wanted to, to start a civil war, wanted to assassinate, wanted to kill their way to a new kingdom. That there were the Essenes who, who wanted to kind of recluse themselves from society and, and disappear and kind of have their own communities and just be done with the world around them. There were the Sadducees who, who tried to, uh, you know, cozy up and, and find a way to work uh, with those with power and money and, and, and were kind of the 1% of, of their time. And then you had the Pharisees who, who were trying to bring about change by this personal piety of, you know, if we keep away from the practices of everybody else in the world and we just kind of keep them at arm's length, uh, you know, we can just have our own society and we can be our own people. And in the midst of that uncertainty of what's the way forward, Jesus called people to love their enemies, to, to be contrary to the way of the world, but not one that then conquers it and then pushes it down, but one that, uh, that sees everyone as equal, that loves all people, that uh, works for justice and goodness. And we were thinking about it from Jesus' vantage point and how Jesus invites us into that image, but I'm also wondering what it was like for those disciples, for the people who are hearing him, and, and how well is his message fully getting through? Because as we read through the Gospels, it often seems like they don't quite understand everything that Jesus has to say. They don't quite get it yet, especially in the Gospel of Mark. It feels like almost every time we get the disciples getting their reactions, their responses, it's always a little bit short of the image that Jesus invites them into. And so when we think about what is it to be the church, you think about what is it to be those disciples, those people who fell short of his ideals, who, who, who didn't know how to live into that. And imagine them, uh, that, that great week of, of Holy Week, when Jesus is crucified and we hear stories of them hidden kind of in homes, locked doors and, and afraid you know, they, they thought this was it, that it was over. And Easter Sunday happens, and their imaginations are shattered, and we don't fully know what each one of them thought about it, of like, how did they fully understand what had happened? And part of how we know that they still wrestled with, how do I express what just happened, is each of our Gospels gives us different takes of, of how to talk about those moments. And so there's not like one standardized, here's the only way to talk about what happened. Uh, they had their own ways of talking about the experience of what is it to think that death wins, but to see life resurrected, to see a future resurrected. And these disciples who didn't always get it, huddled together, experienced a risen Christ, and then are still left with, well, what do we do with that? Hey, there's no easy blueprint of, uh, uh, here's exactly how you should be the church. Jesus had plenty of wonderful, amazing teachings, but like, practically, what do I do today? <laughs> you know, of, well, it's a Tuesday, all right, how do I be the church today? 
and the disciples are waiting around Jerusalem. When we, when we get Acts, uh, and when Acts starts, you know, there's the first this ascension scene where Jesus leaves and they're just looking up into the sky and the angels have to say, hey, he gave you a mission. What are you doing waiting around here? And so they go and they're in their, their rooms in Jerusalem and it's Pentecost, it's 50 days later, and the Spirit comes. And the Spirit does not lead them to just having a wonderful time together. The Spirit sends them out the door to do the mission that Jesus had for them, to spread good news, to go and make disciples of all nations. And that people from all around the world were there for a festival and they're hearing in their own language the good news of Jesus. And so the Spirit didn't come to just make them feel good and cozy. The Spirit sent them out because they couldn't do otherwise. Their, their spirits were on fire for what God was doing. And the discernment process of what does it mean to be the church doesn't end there. I like that they have to defend themselves and, and their, what happened on Pentecost. One of my favorite little tidbits, if you've never noticed, is the crowd start wondering, what's going on with these disciples, these Galileans? They're I can hear them in my own language. What's happening here? And Peter stands up and defends himself and says, it is too early to be drunk. <laughs> it's just a funny uh, little tidbit from Peter in our book of Acts. You think we are, are unsound. You think we're not rational. But our passion is overflowing. Let me tell you what I've experienced. And they're having this moment every day, and the Acts is saying that people are growing in numbers, that they just can't help but share good news. And we get one story in Acts 3 in which Peter and John are going about their daily life. They go through the gate to the temple, and they see a man, and the man was unable to walk. And Peter looks around, and he's not sure what he should do. And he says, you know, I don't have any gold. We'll talk about that again in a minute. He says, I don't have gold. What I do have, I give to you. And he pronounces hope and healing and life. And the man not only gets up to walk, he jumps up, which is one of those beautiful images that he doesn't just stand and walk off. He leaps up from the ground and can't help but celebrate healing. Because that's the reaction to the Spirit. That's the reaction to the good news. That's the reaction to the gospel. Is the gospel is about healing transformation and a healing transformation that you can't hold in. You've got to talk about it. And so Peter and John are going into the temple. That's where they were going that day. But there's a crowd that starts because they see the man who couldn't walk. They see him jumping around and they want to know what happened. They don't like the commotion that's going on, and so the religious leaders kind of have an investigation. They kind of pull Peter and John into their custody to figure out what's going on here. And Peter and John preach about who Jesus was, and the religious leaders can't say anything in the story. They're like, well, I know this man. I know his life's changed. What am I supposed to do about it? So in Acts 3, they say to Peter and John, okay, we're going to let you go, but can you stop talking about this? Stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about resurrection, which especially made some of uh, the leaders mad. But stop talking about this. And Peter and John say, well, who are we supposed to listen to? To you or to God? They can't help but talking about it. They, they can't help but proclaim it and celebrate it because it is felt really to them. It is 
experienced. They know who they were. In the story, the, the religious leaders are like, who are these people? They're ordinary people. They, they're not educated. Who are these people? Well, of course they're going to share good news because they are living the good news. And so Peter and John run back to their disciple, the other disciples, their friends, and they start telling what had happened. And the disciples hear this story, and they can't help but celebrate what God is doing. And so they praise God, and I want to read a few words here of what they say. They're kind of praying to God and also just praising in among themselves. And they say, For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. So, they're pointing out, everyone has been against us, right? The, the, the government, the religious leaders, they've all gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. Before we go on there, they're saying, look, the world around me can be against me. No matter what threats they give my direction, Lord, let me speak with boldness. They were just told, stop talking. And this community is now praying the exact opposite of what they've been told to do. Lord, give us a boldness to speak your word. And then it says, while you, God, while you stretch out your hand to heal. People around me are threatening me. People around me don't believe me. They want to harm me. But God, give me a boldness because I know you want to heal. You don't want to harm. We lose sometimes the power of a people centered around Jesus wrongfully crucified who do not get up and say let's crucify all those enemies who did that to us what a radical community to say you threatened me and Jesus you you've opposed God God give me a boldness to not be afraid that that future is just my future but that the future is actually healing. Like, what is it for first century Christians to sit around in a room and say, God's going to heal my enemy. And I believe it because God heals me. That God didn't want to just turn the tables and respond fear to fear and anger to anger and hate to hate and violence to violence. But Lord... Grant your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your servant Jesus. And it says that when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. And all of this is prelude to the verses that I wanted to share today. But I don't think you can understand what the church's response is without understanding that moment. Where they're at in the world in which they're saying, I know people threaten me, 
but my prayers are for healing and for boldness. And so then the text goes on. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Pause. That's how you get to having one heart and soul, is seeing and believing the mission of God to heal. Because to take any other mission, to take the mission of let's just divide and conquer, let's just win through violence, through, through the regular means of the world, it maintains divisiveness. It maintains anger and hate. It's only when we come together and pray for healing and for a new world, a new imagination, a new hope, that we get a group gathering together, believing in one heart and soul, and they weren't just in a comfortable feeling, there were actions involved. It goes on to say, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. And with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought their proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. How did they get to this place of sharing? They got to it from that shared mission of God to heal everyone. And the reason that they're able to let go and to allow themselves to be open-handed is because they trust in the mission of God and what God is doing. And they, they know they can't do it on their own. Like, I can't heal everybody on my own. What am I supposed to do with this? But I know God can, and I'm going to open up to whatever and however God can do that. And so when Peter and John walk up to someone who's at the gate who's, who's, who's asking for money, and they say, with all honesty, I don't have any money. I don't have anything. I do have something even greater. Let me talk to you about the healing of God. And, and they bring healing. Now, there, there's obviously a financial element. Uh, they didn't just, like, throw their money out and just, like, leave it on the street corner. They used it to help people in need. They, they used it to bring about healing and justice in their community where it, where it was needed. But you don't get to a place where people have one heart and one soul and share things in common through the ways of the world. You get through healing. Now, this is like one of the pinnacle moments of the ideal imagined church in that first century. Uh, Acts is going to get to a lot of drama, a lot of problems. And for this brief moment, we see and we imagine what the church could be. And we're going to be reminded in Acts, we're going to be reminded in every New Testament document, that those disciples still don't know how to fully live it out perfectly. They're still going to make mistakes. They're still not going to perfectly live out that kingdom. But that's not reason to give up hope that the one who brings power and boldness and healing is still on the throne is still the one that invites us into that healing. Like this story ends and we immediately get into the mess. They talked about we gave everything we had. We, we left it in common so people could take care of each other and we get this story of this person who gave up their possessions for the community. And then next we get Ananias and Sapphira who kind of want that inclusion in the community. Like it feels good. People are feeling good about this community 
Sure, we gave everything we had while still holding some back. And they wanted the benefits without the full invitation of the calling of, I want to feel like I'm all in for this. And I want people to believe I'm all in for this. But how many of us do the same of, you know, yeah, I believe this message, but God, you want me to use my time this way? You want me to use my, my money, my home, my, my job? Like, you want that part of me too? And that real challenge is a challenge they faced. It's not just our challenge. And, and so in that story, uh, Ananias and Sapphira uh, fall down dead, and we don't have time to talk into all of the theological wrestling of what on earth happened there uh, and what on earth the first century fully imagines there, other than to say where there is healing and life is about full commitment to God, and to abandon that is to re-enter into a world of death and brokenness and division and that invitation to be on the fence about life or death, on the fence about healing or brokenness, is to maintain the broken world, maintain the broken system. And it doesn't just end there. It's not just money, right? The, the church had to have an argument about whether Jews and Gentiles were, in fact, together in Christ. We, our first week of this message series, we talked about that, of, of God has, has made co-heirs of the same promise, Jews and Gentiles, people of all nations. Wait, are you sure, God? There's a faction of people who proclaim Jesus as Lord, who gathered in those church communities, who said, I don't think I can buy that. And who said, no, that, that's not what God's will is. Ultimately, they did not win out in that conversation. But the church was not perfect. It was not something to idealize as in, Let's just go back to that moment when everything was figured out. Read every single letter of Paul. Like, hey, hey, rich Christians, treat your poor Christian brothers and sisters better. Stop eating all the meal before they get there. Uh, stop relishing in, in sinfulness just because of grace. Yeah, God is gracious, but like, don't mock God about that. There's so many problems. There's... I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos. Who's the leader for me? Like the early church was just as messy as today. But Acts gives an image of what the church can be, of what in the best of moments the church looks like. And ultimately our, our picture of what the ideal church is is best seen in Revelation as you look forward in time in which a time in which God's kingdom does come down. And we pray every, every Sunday of, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Revelation has this image of hopefulness that God's kingdom will eventually reign and rule and there'll be no more tears, no more darkness. And the hopefulness of a church who had boldness, who had courage to, to proclaim Christ even when powers that be reject Christ, that a church that could celebrate a lamb that is slaughtered instead of a beast that looks powerful, a church that can celebrate Christ and God's kingdom and not the kingdoms of this world. Ultimately, in the end, that a church 
that gets to experience God's presence most visibly felt, most visibly seen, and gets to just spend time as a community faithfully and justly living among their neighbors and their God. And we know we're not there yet. And we probably can identify a whole lot more with the disciples and with that early church than we often think about. Whether it's the way the world imagines how do I get past this this divisive moment. Uh, Whether it's what on earth is resurrection power? How do I articulate that? How do I describe it? Uh, Whether it's Is God actually calling me to full commitment? Can I give that? Those disciples are just like you and me. And we all have the opportunity to be invited into what the church can look like. That no matter what message the world gives and what threats they give, we can proclaim healing and we can do that in our own communities and we can start that here and now We don't have to wait on others. We are about God's healing. And I want to just read once again from that Acts text. The whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. How well are we living that out? How well are we putting our hearts, our passions, our life, our commitment to God's healing power, to the resurrection power of Jesus, and let that rule in us, and not all of the little things that divide, not the preferential minor details getting stuck in the weeds, but like, see God's healing power. When you walk through your daily life and you see someone like they saw at the temple, do you invite them into healing or do we pass by and we don't want to look, we kind of hide our eyes? If you have never embraced and accepted the invitation to healing, and some of that healing is about how you see your enemies, about how you see those who disagree with you, but how you see those who have said bad things about you, who have harmed you. God invites you into his healing power that mends the world together. And maybe you've been on this journey for a while. God invites you to reflect on uh, whether we have actually ever fully taken on that desire and that hope to have one heart, one spirit, Uh, It's one of the reasons I love worship and singing music together in a worship service time of as you start to breathe at the same rhythm and your heart rate starts to get closer to the same kind of beat, that something about following God together might bring us closer to the rhythm of God that he has for this world and for the healing God has for this world. So no matter whether today is a moment of celebration or a moment of fear for you in the way the world is going, know that God's healing power is what we are united under. May you join the the church of 2,000 years of hopefulness 
that God's healing is the what is victorious and not violence, not division, not anger. May you rest today in God's healing. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I know there are parts of me that still need healing. We confess that there are parts of ourselves that still need healing. Lord, let us not be complacent with our faith. God, I know when I was just talking about Good Friday and Easter Sunday, uh, I know it struck me thinking about the real pain that has been endured, uh, the real suffering, the real loss. Lord, help me to have a heart for the healing of the world, for the healing of each person I see in my life. Uh, Because the status quo is not enough. Lord, let our prayer not be, let status quo uh, rule today. Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, we, we ask, we plead that you might heal us and heal our world and help us to be bold. Lord, help us to have no other response than wanting to share and celebrate and share the story of who you are. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.